Hey, you're listening to Inksteads, and this is your guest host, Sloan Leong, and I am talking with Yasmin Omar Ata. Hi, Yasmin. <laughs> Hi. So, you just recently finished a really big project, an online webcomic, and before we dive into that, I just want to ask a little bit about you. When did you start drawing comics? Where are you from? All that. Right. So, hit me. Hit me with the deets. <laughs> Hit me with your life story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you do comics and illustration, everyone always wants to know, like, what age did you start? Like, what made you start? And right. the easiest point for me to answer is literally I was eight years old and my friend in the neighborhood showed me, like, Sailor Moon Volume 2. Mm. And that was pretty much it. I was kind of in for life. So nice. <laughs> that's my origin story. Um, I grew up in Orlando, Florida, so Mm. I didn't really have a ton of resources. Not a lot of people are doing comics down there. So I kind of just quietly drew my sketchbooks for a while until I moved to Chicago to go to Columbia College, Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I found that, you know, regardless of being in the illustration program, I wasn't really learning anything that I wanted to. I felt a little unfulfilled. So I packed up and I moved to New York to go to School of Visual Arts. And as soon as I got here, I was just totally, A, overwhelmed and B, super excited by the huge community here of comics people and illustrators and games people. Mm -hmm. And it was like opening my eyes, you know, for the first time. So I got really excited. I started going to shows. I started swapping really bad Xerox zines with people. Nice. And it was just, it was an awesome experience to move here and see a huge community just right before my eyes. So that's kind of just what got me to where I am today. That's awesome. That's really cool. Had you, when you were younger, had you always like planned to go to art school or did that kind of develop later on in your life? Mm, Kind of. I sort of saw it in the distance as maybe a thing that I would do later, but then Mm -hmm. I went through that phase in my senior year where I'm like, I don't want to go to school like you know fuck that shit so and then I kind of thought about it and I was like you know what if I want to do what I want to do it will be in my best interest to just go if it's possible for me and it was so for a while it was kind of up in the air but also I was kind of a directionless teen so right right and so right now you're living in New York has that had like like you said there's a huge community there how has it impacted you Mostly in a positive way? Is there any negative ways that it's impacted you, you think, in your work? Mm, 
trying to think of negative. It's mostly positive, you know, by and large. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so nice to be in a space where people are actively creating all around you and you're constantly going to people's houses and seeing, you know, their art and seeing what they're working on and their originals and meeting up with your friends and you all like sit in your living room and draw until 4am and just being in person and being in a center where there's so many shows around here and just in the city, like Mocha is here, Zine Feast is here, uh, Cab is here, you know, and then all the East Coast shows are within like a five hour drive of here. Yeah. Except for TCAP, but still that's like less than a day. So Mm -hmm. in like an epicenter of a lot of amazing things happening in comics. So it's been really great and it really drives you to just kind of push yourself and keep moving forward. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. I, I can't, I can't hold myself back. I got to talk about your comic now. Okay. So, <laughs> so you just finished Miss Hadra, which do you, would you like to say it properly? <laughs> uh, sure. It's, you know, it's a little awkward for just English speaking, but the proper pronunciation is Miss Hadra. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Maybe a little bit about the title and then uh, kind of a synopsis of the story. Um, basically, the phrase Mishadra, at least in my family's dialect of Arabic, means I can't or I cannot. Mm-hmm. And it doubles with the word for seizure, which is uh, Misadra. Mm. So that's why if you look at the title of the comic, the H is actually in parentheses, which is indicating that you can pronounce it with or without. It's a little bit of a play on words. Mm-hmm. So... That's basically what the title means. It's supposed to be kind of a duality, symbolizing how difficult it is to have a seizure. And sometimes you're just like, I, I can't. I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's just extremely crushing. So mm-hmm. that title is really cool because uh, it's really nice to see people who actually speak Arabic be like, oh, I know what this is. And people who don't speak Arabic, they get a little peek behind the curtain whenever I explain it. Mm-hmm. So the story is basically... Not quite autobio, but very close to autobio, um, like, narrative of my experiences being epileptic and having seizures. Mm-hmm. The eyes of a character named Isaac, who's very close to me, and his struggle and all of his things that he encounters, all the seizures, all the conversations, all, you know, his dreams, everything, those are all very real events that happen mm-hmm. in my those are all extremely true to life. So I strung a bunch of my most potent experiences being epileptic into a narrative through the eyes of this character. And the general progression is that he tries really hard to cope and to deal with his illness in a world that is very demanding, especially in school, which I had a lot of trouble with. Mm -hmm. And eventually just kind of gives up. He gives up and he has a series of seizures that put him into just a long sleep and... Uh, he has to just kind of pull himself out of it and decide that he needs to move on and to actually try and just put one foot forward. Mm-hmm. So before we get into like the meat of the story, because it's really mm-hmm. fascinating, like this is a really specific experience. It's your experience as an epileptic, as an Arab American, kind of entwined into this fictional world where we can kind of follow Isaac and experience all these little small details that a non-epileptic person wouldn't really know or understand um before we get into all that i was let's talk about maybe the art style sure so it has a really unique palette you have these creamy backgrounds sometimes it's really bright yellow and then you have this purple inking uh purpley tones and then at some points there's completely black pages with uh like neon pink inks just really really beautiful is it just your preference to use those colors or do you have some other meaning or motivation to use that specific palette? Well, thanks. I'm really glad that you like it. Um, I usually work with very, very bright neon colors, so Mm -hmm. it's actually kind of unusual for me to use a palette that's a little subdued, at least for uh, the regular parts of the comic. Um, The main palette is mostly purple, cream, and orange. Mm -hmm. It took a little while to nail that down because I wanted something that still speaks to my aesthetic where it's like where the purple comes from, but something that's a little bit washed out and mm-hmm. almost just kind of like a little bit mundane in a way. The purple in and of itself uh, comes from Purple Day, which is actually National Epilepsy Day. Mm-hmm. 
So I wanted to make sure to make that a prominent color in the comic. It also can be found in a gem called Formaline. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, that's this. Is supposed to be a gem that helps ward off seizures. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So the purple is a very deliberate choice. The black and pink and the cyan of the knives that represent the danger of seizures was just me experimenting with a palette that could convey danger and urgency mm-hmm. without the character being like, I'm in danger and I feel scared. I wanted a very visceral vocabulary for that and the colors were essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that those translate really nicely. Um, the patterning of the more like sub- subdued purples and creams like you were saying and then jumping to this really jarring heart color of like neon greens and blacks and all that. It works really well. Thank you. When you were first starting this, actually, when did you start drawing this comic? I started in the fall of 2013, so it's been pretty much two exact years. Wow. And so were you, I think I remember you saying, were you still in school when you started this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was my senior year at SBA, and I was in my senior class with Gary Panther, and, you know, he said, do your senior project, do whatever you want. And I think about a month before school started, or just a few weeks, I actually had a very near-death experience because of my seizures. So mm-hmm. I already had in mind that I really wanted to make something that expressed that. I was like, people need to know about this. So when he went around asking, you know, what's your proposal, I proposed what would become Mishandra. Mm-hmm. At what point did you, I guess, like, when you're developing the story, what made you choose to use uh, Isaac, his fictional character, as kind of a stand-in instead of just using yourself, you know, making an autobio? Well, I'm not really good at just talking about myself. I'm just kind of like, hey! You know, I just don't... Really, I'm not really used to just it being me and, like, having myself be an avatar for my comics. It's just not really something that I've done. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to find a way to bridge that gap and say, I want to convey these super personal experiences, but I kind of needed a degree of separation in order to feel comfortable. I didn't feel right just coming out and, like, having it be just me. Right. So it also helped because, you know, this is really super sensitive material to put out. You know, mm-hmm. this is extremely raw. I and mean, like, there were times when I was drawing the comic, I found myself having to take a break because I would get too emotional because this is, you know, real shit. Right. Well, it really helped to have just one slight degree of separation in the way that it's a character going through these things and him representing me, it just really helped me kind of feel comfortable and step back and just feel right drawing upon it. Yeah, that makes sense. That would be really difficult to do as an autobio and to have that kind of openness. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough, but, you know, the comic really helped me find my voice, so I'm really glad that I did it the way I did. Was there a scene, maybe, that was hard, the hardest to draw, or maybe the most, uh, a scene that you feel really connected to? I'm trying to think. You know, it's funny because in every single chapter of the comic, I can point to a specific scene mm-hmm. that really just, that was a real thing that stuck with me, obviously. I think one of the hardest chapters for me to draw was, it was the chapter uh, 12, I believe, is the one before he has a series of seizures that, you know, just kind of put him out for a good 12 hours sleep. Mm-hmm. That, um, that was really difficult to draw because that was based on a real experience, again, of me having four or five seizures back-to-back alone in my dorm room at 1 a.m. one night. And just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's rough. Yeah. And I know it's rough hearing about this, so you can imagine how rough it is trying to just work through it. But I had that happen to me, and I was just so confused and dazed, and I didn't know what to do, so I just passed out. And the next day, I I was really sore. I had all these injuries, and I was still out of it, so I just kind of dragged my ass to the hospital by myself. So that was a pretty rough scene to draw, but, you know, it's it's good. I'm glad that I did it. That's cool. Yeah, I feel like... Um, a lot of times, like, I know for me drawing this, I know you talked about it a little, how when you can kind of materialize, like, crystallize, you know, your experiences and 
you know, form of art. It kind of helps you separate that from yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel that a lot in it. Well, I'm sorry that comes through because uh, the comic was supposed to actually just be educational. Mm-hmm. Like, first I thought, oh, I should just educate people who don't have epilepsy or don't know anyone with epilepsy. Mm-hmm. Just tell people what it's about. But you can actually kind of see this as you progress through the comic if you read it all at once. It kind of just became monthly therapy for me, for mm-hmm. me to kind of work through my illness and eventually just get to a super healthy place about it. So, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like how in-depth the story is about, you know, how, you know, living as an epileptic and how carefully, like, Isaac has to, you know, schedule his sleep. He's got to be careful of his triggers, like, not drinking caffeine before alcohol or yeah. getting dehydrated. Um, and it's really, you really see how um, kind of the world and the people around, you know, that he's around, sometimes they just, they don't know how to accommodate, you know, non-disabled bodies, non-normative bodies, and he's, and it's sad because he's constantly apologizing for it, you know, apologizing for something that's not his fault or that shouldn't be, you know, it, like the world could accommodate him, but it doesn't make an effort to. Yeah. And it's so... Yeah, so sad, you know, and you've you displayed that so perfectly in the story. Thank you. It's because it's, it's so real. It's just something that I've had to deal with for the past few years, having this illness. And it is doubly sad because it's really not anyone's fault, necessarily. You can't really blame someone because there's the world doesn't know that much about epilepsy. It's actually not only misunderstood, but just there's not a whole ton of information about it. I think I read an interview with some doctor, and he basically admitted, he's like, you know, no other doctor's going to tell you this, but the truth is the medical field knows next to nothing compared mm-hmm. to So it's sad because you feel the need to apologize and you feel frustration because most people just don't know anything about it, but how can you blame them, right. you know? It's really no one's fault necessarily. So you kind of just are in a very unusual position where you just feel like you have to apologize in place of, explaining, you know, your whole thing and trying to tell someone about it, sometimes it's just way easier and way quicker to be like, I'm sorry, and then make up X reason. Oh, I'm tired, or though this and that, or whatever. Right. And yeah, another thing that struck me was uh, Isaac and his experiences with doctors. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think I possibly noticed that one of the only, like, non-negative like experiences he has was with, uh, was it like a doctor of color, I feel like? who kind mm-hmm. of listened to him a little mm-hmm. better than the other ones. I, I just thought that was a, a nice, like, note, <laughs> you know, in this whole, you know, broad landscape of dealing with the world as a minority or a marginalized person. Absolutely. Um, the doctor that was the worst to me was, was not a person of color. He actually appears, uh, I think, the fourth chapter where there is a flashback to Isaac having his first seizure and going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the doctor is like, yeah, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. Uh, that was a real conversation that happened to me. Oh. And that is almost word for word, like straight up. And That's I wild. just, it was horrible. I just remember being so frustrated and just trying really hard to make my point and just feeling so powerless. And he eventually he said, you know, you want my doctor advice? Get a therapist. And I lost it. I was like, I can't believe you're saying this to me. I know that there's something wrong and you're just talking down to me and patronizing me and I'm absolutely certain that ties into not being an oppressed minority, but just in general, the power dynamic that doctors have over that kind of thing is just really, really kind of horrifying when you're looking at it in the face, you know? Yeah, it was really horrifying reading those experiences and thinking like, oh, I can't believe a real person actually had to have that conversation, like, to be so belittled like that. Uh, it's and like I'm not glad that you were horrified, but also I am glad that I came across. Yeah, I think another obviously another strong element to your work is there's a lot of Arab influence. Mm-hmm. Um, so as an Arab American, uh, how does dealing with epilepsy um, kind of overlap with your culture, and how do you, I guess, how do you like calibrate your stories? Uh, to, like, a broader audience? Well, 
The thing is, I'm mixed race. I'm half Arab and half white. So I don't necessarily want to speak for anyone else in their experience with particularly Arab culture and illness. But my experience in general has been that Arab culture doesn't really know how to deal with it. It's just something that's not really talked about. And illness in particular is just kind of kept behind closed doors. So my family actually is completely in denial about my epilepsy and does not talk about it, does not want to know about it. Um, there's a scene, I believe in chapter three, when Isaac is talking to his dad on the phone and he said, you know, oh, I had a seizure and then, you know, I'm, I'm fine now, but whatever. And his dad goes, what are you talking about? What seizures? You have seizures? And Isaac kind of loses it. He's like, I can't believe that you forgot that you just kind of don't acknowledge it. And that's, again, a real conversation I had with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I, Again, in that conversation in real life, I kind of lost it, too, because I was in the hospital twice. And how did you forget this, you know? But I think I just chalk it up a lot to just in the culture I grew up in, you just don't talk about this kind of illness. You know, you don't Mm. tell anyone about it. A lot of my family didn't even know, and I had to tell them personally, you know, years after the fact of getting diagnosed. So I think that is a big problem. I think that's a real issue that my culture kind of just needs to deal with. Mm -hmm. As far as integrating my heritage into my work for a broader audience, um, there isn't really, you know, a lot of work that kind of incorporates Arab culture, and I wish there was more. Also, attributes a lot to Arab artists just not getting a chance to be heard. There's a lot of us out there, just we're just kind of out there making our way, so Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily really think about calibrating my work to a larger audience or to like a non-Arab audience. I kind of just put in what feels right and I just, I do me essentially and hope that people are into it. But if they're not like, okay, this is me, this is my culture. So I'm, I'm going to be out here and do yeah. my, and you know, a lot of in the comic uh, in the last half, there's a lot of like Ottoman looking robes and patterns and mm-hmm. that popped up in the comic and that was just me feeling like this is my culture and this is I need to represent myself so right that's me just kind of doing that and I'm glad that you know people are into it and people enjoy it so yeah totally and it's nice to see that like just that true expression of someone like I know sometimes people will hold back or like on, you know, depicting their culture or, you know, infusing elements of it into their work. And so I think that's kind of, you know, decolonizing yourself and that, you know, trying to wash away the specifics of your ethnicity, you know, just to be consumed, you know. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I think that uh, we are encouraged to kind of stay quiet and lay low. That's just kind of the way it is, but I that, you know, stand proud. Totally. I think another uh, another strong theme in this work, uh, Isaac, he's, just, he's hiding his, you know, his suffering and his condition. Um, and he's really, throughout the story, writing to trust others with his pain and his vulnerability. Even at one point, uh, his eye is, like, gouged out sometimes during the seizure, I believe. Yep, and then he just throws it away and goes home. And it just happens at a party, and he just like doesn't tell anyone, doesn't really like acknowledge it. <laughs> it seems yeah. like, yeah. Um, and he's just like so fully convinced himself that he is a burden to people, and he's trying to always, you know, not do that. Um, what are the? You already talked a little bit about it, but what are the, you know, the consequences of withholding that pain from other people? It just makes it a thousand times worse. You know, you, it's really stigmatized, and you can't help but kind of keep it all in and just hope that no one will notice, you know? But mm-hmm. it just makes it a thousand times worse to not be able to tell anyone and kind of hold it all in. You always feel like you're in danger of bubbling over. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is a huge problem that anyone with chronic illness will tell you. It's Everyone's different, but for the most part, it is stigmatized to a point where you just feel the urge to hide, and that goes hand-in-hand with apologizing to people for basic things that you can't help because of your illness. It's just rough. So, And sometimes, you know, you open up and people shut you down or 
like betray your trust, and that's kind of something that can discourage you. I think most of the people that I've opened up with, uh, my epilepsy the most to, are actually the ones who've treated me the worst. Hmm. In the end, and that can kind of really discourage you, but I think that it is worth it to try and trust because when it does work and when someone does really care about you and does make the effort of trying to accommodate you and be sensitive, uh, it's completely worth it. Hmm. Yeah, and we get to see this with Joe, um, and it's kind of nice because, uh, you know, caring for someone that has, you know, a specific condition that needs attentiveness on your part, either as a friend or, you know, relative, whatever, um, she kind of demonstrates, uh, you know, the boundaries mm-hmm. that a person needs to have uh, in their mind as they're interacting and having a, a friendship or relationship with this person, and there's also... You know, like sometimes you need to watch out for him, sometimes you need to leave him alone, other times you need to stand up for him. So it's kind of nice to see that, you know, a demonstration of like, for a non-epileptic person, like, what can I do? Like, how do I act around you? Because I think a lot of times, you know, a non-epileptic person won't understand, like, oh, maybe I should just like back off, or not quite, that's my question here, but is it something that I noticed, like, just the different ways in which you can interact help, you know, maybe back up a little. Sure. Um, yeah, I've, I've found that most of the time people's negligence just comes from the fact that they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that is a little bit heartbreaking because uh, it's just, again, it's no one's fault. It's just people just don't know what to do. Right. There are times where people are just straight up inconsiderate and shitty, and I've had people that I know straight up help trigger me into a seizure before. Mm. But on the positive side of that, you know, Joe is actually very much an amalgamation of a lot of people. Uh, the people who have been the most supportive in my life and have helped me the most and been the most caring. So, you know, Isaac is very much based off of me. He's essentially me and how I've felt going through the experiences. Joe is real in the fact that she's not one person in my life, but she's representative of the positive experiences that I've had with people caring about me and actually helping. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I thought that was a really, their relationship is really powerful to me in how, uh, in depth it is with their struggles with each other and getting to, maybe Joe can be sometimes a little like, uh, forward or like aggressive with like her affections and like what she wants for Isaac and Isaac can be kind of standoffish, but the interplay there was really, um, like engaging to me. Thank you. And, um, also, and also like Isaac's struggle, as I kind of was talking about before, with like his guilt for wanting that support, and also like the combination of fear of not being able to care for himself, like that mm-hmm. conflict as well was really um, moving for me. Thank you. I I found that you know it goes hand in hand and compounded by a again Arab culture not really understanding how to deal with this illness, or at least my experience, and with just general stigma of having a chronic illness, when you do find someone who does care about you and does watch out for you, you can't help but have like a little guilt and feel like you are kind of inconveniencing them. Mm-hmm. But if that person really cares about you, then that shouldn't be a thing that you should be worried about. But in the beginning, it is kind of like, ah, thank you, when <laughs> you find yourself saying thank you excessively. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I think it a lot. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I uh, like too. That's how I drew like 300 pages. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I'm done. Um, yeah. So. Oh yeah. So I think you, when you present your chapters online, uh, sometimes you have like commentary to go with it, uh, like personal commentary. Um, do you find it uh, a challenge or a problem to kind of present yourself and your personal experiences? to other people, um, kind of like you were talking about earlier, how you had to kind of separate yourself by inserting Isaac kind of as a stand-in so you could have that kind of a buffer, but you still kind of feel like put yourself out there a lot. So well, is that hard for you or? The first few chapters, yeah, it was pretty hard because I felt the commentary is necessary and I think that it helps give some context to mm-hmm. what is appearing as fiction and me being able to say, hey, this is technically a narrative, but also this is my life. 
Mm-hmm. So the commentary felt like something that needed to be done, but the first few chapters I was kind of shy about it. But as time went on, you know, this comic really helped me straight up just work through my illness. Mm-hmm. This, I can point to this work and be like, this is why I'm in a healthy place. So as time goes on, you can start to read that commentary through those chapters and see that I'm becoming more open in saying, you know, my thoughts personally as me mm-hmm. on what I've written. Yeah. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. No, that's cool. I, <laughs> basically it. Like, I just, I really felt like as time went on with this comic, I was getting more and more strong about my illness and mm-hmm. dealing with it. And it just really helped to have this outlet mm-hmm. and just be able to share with it. And when I first brought it out, you know, I posted the first chapter, you know, almost two years ago. And when I posted it, I, you know, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to read this. <laughs> I don't know if people are going to read this. And even if they do, like, who the fuck is going to get this? You know, there's, right. you know, epilepsy, you know, it affects 1% of the world population. You know, mm-hmm. very few of those people happen to be on the internet reading my comic. You know, mm-hmm. I I just thought, who, who's going to understand this? Am I going to feel this? And if you're not an epileptic, then do you care? I had a lot of doubts, but I just put it up there anyway, saying, you know what, let's just, I'll just throw it out there. And the overwhelming positive response that I had from people who were epileptic, people who aren't epileptic, but know someone, or people who have similar illnesses like migraines or mental illness or mm-hmm. you know, this, that, or the other, just really affirmed me. Just having all of these great people come to me and say, you know, I feel this shit so hard and thank you for doing this. And it just really helped me not only continue to keep drawing the comic, but also to gather strength to talk more and more openly about what's going on in my life. Right. And it's like, it's so nice because when these stories get told, um, these stories that aren't, we wouldn't normally see in any sort of mainstream media or even like, you know, indie-ish stuff, like this is so special, like you're giving value to this story. Like you're being able to tell it is giving value. And so other people feel value that their experience is worth telling, even if it's painful or if it's strange. Like, I just really like that aspect of when, you know, when you can tell your story specifically. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a really good experience, and it's encouraged me not only to keep doing it, but also to tell other people who aren't sure, you know, if you're story or what you want to tell, whether it's your game or your book or your uh, comic or whatever, even if it's non-normative, what we would define as for mainstream media, you know, Mm -hmm. it's about your illness or your experience of racism or, you know, things like that, and you're worried about putting it out there, just just do it, you know, just go out there and make it and have the strength and the confidence, It's, it's so worth it, it's so worth it to put it out there and to work with your feelings and just tell other people your story because someone out there is going to feel it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people band together over that kind of thing and support each other. And I think that's really particularly important for, you know, marginalized creators. Mm -hmm. So another thing I wanted to ask you about was the actual design of the knives that represent these pieces. Well, when I was doing the initial path this comic and kind of deciding how it was going to work and deciding how am I going to represent this in a way that comes across to everybody. Mm-hmm. I wanted to indicate danger visually, and I think I went over this a little bit before, mm-hmm. but I felt like I really needed something that's not literal, something that's not specific, and something that can convey danger to someone even though they don't know the specifics of the situation. Mm-hmm. So the reality is that my audience, for the most part, kind of doesn't know what I'm talking about, like, at all. So a very small amount of people are reading this comic and know what a seizure is like. So I was like, how am I going to do this? And I really just dug deep, and I thought of the idea of knives, because sometimes that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like just having a knife to your throat or, you know, X part, just, you know, in danger of being dissected. That's exactly what it feels like when I have seizure or I'm really close. So I decided on a traditional Arab knife called Jandia. Mm-hmm. It's part of my culture, which I really wanted to represent in this comic, obviously, from the title and everything else. And 
it's a dagger. It's very traditional, especially in like Yemen and other oh. in the Near East. And it represents, you know, danger. It's a weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, as Isaac at the very end of the series kind of comes to terms with everything and decides that he wants to move forward and try and make this work, this weapon that used to give someone so much fear and represented danger and a threat actually becomes a source of strength. Mm-hmm. Becomes something that you can essentially protect yourself with from life. And so obviously epilepsy is always going to be a danger to me and obviously it's always going to be a threat and I'm never going to stop resting. Mm-hmm. The This is actually extremely meta, but the idea of me taking my experience and turning it into a comic that not only helps me but helps others is me using this weapon against me as a source of strength, mm-hmm. source of protection. So that kind of didn't really start as that concept, but that emerged over time as I found this being monthly therapy for me. I found that I was turning, you know, what was so dangerous to me into something that was actually extremely helpful. Yeah, and they're so beautifully designed, and I love the ending of Spoiler Alert, but I was kind of <laughs> clutching it to his chest, and it's and it's no longer that really, like, neon, like, teal color. Like, it's just it's a creamy color again. It's yep. less, you know, chaotic-looking. It's his who's controlling it. Exactly. He makes it his own, and that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I I owned it, actually. I, like, made it work for myself in a way that this is always going to be, like, very literally, like, a double-edged sword. This mm-hmm. is always something that is a threat to me, but I can make this work for myself, and I can step forward and do something with it and use it as a source of strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a side note, you know, if you've read the comic, so you know that there's a lot of eyes in this comic. Yes. And not only does he lose his, uh, which I'm always very into the idea of a character losing an eye or losing their sight. Mm-hmm. a pretty heavy-handed, but still very interesting metaphor for losing your sight emotionally or mm-hmm. foresight. I think they do that in King Weir or something, which is the first time I saw that and it really struck me. Mm-hmm. So not only is it affecting him, like, literally, but also there are eyes on the knives, and sometimes in dream sequences there are just, like, visions of eyes. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, being epileptic means basically always being on guard. You're never quite not there. You're mm-hmm. you're always kind of looking out. You're always not comfortable. Even if it's just 10%, you still have that feeling of being watched, or just someone looking over your shoulder or something just waiting for you to have a seizure, essentially. The epilepsy in and of itself feels like someone watching you. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to represent that in these knives that are coming at him, in the danger that's being represented. Not only is it, you know, the literal physical danger, but also just the feeling of always being in someone's sight, waiting for you to just drop dead, essentially. Right. Yeah. Like you're saying, this it... My people might a reader might think it's heavy handed, but I feel like it encapsulates, you know, the symbolism um, of the danger, foresight, maybe the introspection that Isaac is going through. Uh, I think it just like represents it. Thank you. Really welcome. Thank you. I also um, I wanted to give Isaac a very present and very permanent injury. Mm-hmm. As a consequence of what he's going through, uh, something that you have to look at, something he has to see every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, obviously I still have both eyes. So, like, it wasn't 100% literal. And some, some parts of this comic, you know, there are some differences to my life, but I really wanted the audience to have a constant reminder. If you don't understand what epilepsy is like, even so, you can see this and understand that these are real things that happen with permanent consequences and sometimes you get an injury even if it's just you know like emotional injury or trauma or PTSD or if it's physical you mm-hmm. bring that with you constantly and so not only did I want him to lose that eye because of the metaphor but also just to keep in mind the audience even when there's not knives on screen even when it's not you know black and the palette is quote unquote normal it's always there mm-hmm. I really like that because I feel like for a lot of like 
illnesses or if you're going through like you're saying like abuse or PTSD, like there's not a lot of physical uh presentations or manifestations of the illness. So it's nice to have that that reminder because also as like a kind of just as a symbol of of your pain to other people but also to yourself. Mm-hmm. That there's yeah. And the thing about that eye is that he could have, like, gotten the fake one, or he could have, like, went to the hospital and bring his detached eye, but he didn't, because he was just so far past that. Mm-hmm. Just to that point where you're like, I don't even care. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, it is pretty extreme for it to be about, like, a physical eye, but just that... That emotion of like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's an emotion that I've felt so many times as an epileptic, and I think a lot of people can relate to, mm-hmm. no matter what illness you have. Just that feeling of like something really bad is going to happen, or there's some kind of, you know, complication or consequence, but you're just so beyond the point of giving a shit because you're tired. Right. You're so tired. And it was really important to me to make sure that Isaac is not a sad boy, because there's plenty of those characters out there. Yeah. <laughs> there's plenty of sad boys, and I didn't want that. I just wanted to convey how I felt, which is not sad, just tired. Right. Really tired and really drained and just feeling really beaten down. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really wanted him to be like, and so far, people have told me that has come through, so that makes me really happy. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, real quick, actually. People have asked me, Ever since I started making this comic, oh, have you read David B's Epileptic? Hmm. Which I'm not sure if you're like if you're familiar. I'm not. No. David B's comic Epileptic, I believe that's the right title, mm-hmm. is basically his account of his brother having seizures. So it's him depicting what it looks like to his like for him to watch his brother having a seizure, and. Yeah. Right, and people have asked me, like, oh, have you read that? And I said, yeah, you know, I read some. And it was really cool, really interesting, and obviously important for this illness to be depicted in any way, but it's told from someone, from an outside perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, it, it isn't told from someone in the position where this is happening to me, which is fine, but I really feel like there should be more of those dialogues coming from within. Right. Oh, and uh, my friend Sam Humphreys... Uh, did a comic called Sacrifice, and mm-hmm. it's from that perspective. He wrote this comic, um, and I'm blanking on who the artist is, but they're really, really good. Oh, I uh, think it's Dalton. Dalton. Dalton Rose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, they're great, and it was really nice to just see from, again, like, another person just in inward perspective. Mm-hmm. This is what it's like. This is me talking about it as a person who has it. So, I like, I like epileptic. It's, a, you know, a cool thing that I've seen, but I'm really into stories being told from the perspective of people that they're happening to. Right. You know, I'd, I'd rather see that. Yeah, same. It's too easy for someone, uh, for, like, an outsider to depict it as a spectacle, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it can, like, apply to not just, like, so an outsider of a film, an outsider of a culture or, you know, Whatever you want to do. And it's, especially with, you know, disabilities or illness or any type of, uh, you know, non-normative condition, it's mm-hmm. too, it's too easy to make it into, uh, you know, to fetishize it or make it kind of sketchy sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's definitely possible for that to happen. And that's, it's not necessarily what epileptic is like. I think, mm-hmm. I, but I think he did a crazy job of making it very real, but I think that no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, a story about illness or, like, racism or gender or whatever, Mm -hmm. there should always be a voice that is experiencing it. I don't, I think that there should be more of that and not necessarily other people being hired to tell your story for you. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to go back to the art a little bit, I wanted to talk about kind of my favorite pages and sequences. Um... (laughs) So in chapter six, I think there's like a really beautiful um, sequence that's also really jarring and scary. It's when Isaac almost, ha- I think he, it's the first time he has this strange seizure that he's not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the world is kind of like, the panels are kind of working, and mm-hmm. he's, not, he's like half in and half out of this, this seizure world. 
for lack of a better term. Um, oh, that's great. That's, that's totally fine. <laughs> but, yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Like, why did you choose to pick it that way? It's obviously a very visceral experience, so. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting because this is actually something that developed more over the course of me making this comic, but I actually started to develop a different kind of seizure. My seizures usually, and when they started, and I still have these most of the time, are convulsive, which is what people think of when someone says, oh, I have a seizure, they think of, you know, someone convulsing and biting their tongue, things like that. But there's a lot of seizures that are non-convulsive, and a lot of times they involve a stupor or a dreamlike state or people would call spacing out. There's a lot of those, and those are, you know, very, very misunderstood, even more than convulsive seizures. Mm-hmm. So I started to have those, and I didn't know what they were called until much later, and I found this out, and I put it in the comic later. They're actually called complex partial status epilepticus. Mm-hmm. Mouthful. But basically it means that you are in a stupor or a dreamlike state, or just kind of out of it um, for a good couple hours. So I would start to feel kind of odd and strange and not really sure what was going on, and then it would click in my head, like, oh, I'm having a seizure now. And for two hours, I would just be pretty much incapacitated and not be able to concentrate or do anything and just have no idea where I was. Actually, the event that caused me to decide to make Majadra was I was wandering around in Times Square because I was trying to meet up with a couple of friends, and all of a sudden I just started to feel it coming on. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was kind of getting there, it was kind of building. So I told my friends, hey, I'm, I'm going to try and go home. Like, I'm sorry. And they said, don't worry about it. Are you okay? I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm fine. You know, typical stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to make my way to the train, and I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, I live in New York for a long time now. Like, I know Times Square off the back of my hand. But mm-hmm. I was getting lost, and I finally found the train across the street. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go on the train, I'm going to be fine, I'm going to go home. And I stepped in front of a bus. I didn't even look. I just stepped right in front of a bus that was, like, rushing towards me, and I didn't even realize it until the bus slightly turned, like, I think four or five degrees and just went right past my face. I think I was an inch away from it. And if, you know, if that bus hadn't kind of moved a little bit that one moment, I would have been dead. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment that clicked with me. Oh, I, I need to tell someone about this. You know, people should know. Yeah. That was my first real bout of CPSE. So I started having those, not extremely common, but every few months or something like that. And it was really hard to describe to people mm-hmm. what it is because it's already hard enough to describe a seizure. How do you describe something that you don't even know what it is? Right. And the best way that I could explain to people is just imagine like the weirdest dream you've ever had but like running through it like walking through this weird zone mm-hmm. and the word or the phrase I guess what it kept coming to my mind whenever I tried to think about what it felt like and I, I thought about it just feels like I'm in a slightly different dimension it feels like I'm the world is slightly to the left and mm-hmm. I'm slightly to the right I'm walking beside it, but I'm walking parallel. I'm not quite in there. So I was kind of having a hard time trying to figure out, how do I depict this? How do I describe this? And then I just thought about, what if I just did that? Mm -hmm. What if I described it exactly how I think it is, and that everything is slightly far away from you, and you're walking parallel to the rest of the world? So I tried it out, and I really liked how it looked, and I thought that, you know, whenever I draw these scenes, it's always kind of, up in the air. I'm like, I don't know if people are going to get this, but mm-hmm. I'll do it and hope for the best. And I was really pleased to find that people were extremely affected by that chapter in particular. Actually, people cite that a lot whenever they talk to me about this comic. That particular scene mm-hmm. came across, and I was really happy because I had no idea. I was like, this is how it feels. Hopefully this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's really intense. It really, Even though it's not like extremely... Uh, violent visuals, it's just like off-putting. It's very, it's very different. I think it kind of made me think of Kintaro Kago, 
Like, he kind of, I forget the name of the comic, but it's almost as if the panels became like a building and just kind of shifting around them. Oh. But, uh, Office and Assyrated, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, um, and I think, an, I think another, uh, favorite sequence of mine is in chapter 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think he has this, Isaac has a seizure and then he's kind of like, just thrown into darkness. And then out of the darkness, you kind of see this, like, frayed stone cord, I think, mm-hmm. kind of leading horizontally across the page. Mm-hmm. And yep. then you see Isaac sitting there and he picks up the phone. Um, and that, I just thought that was really beautiful. And then you have, of course, these Mark Volta-like lyricism, you know, across the page as he kind of grapples with this, you know, nightmare, you know, his struggle. That was definitely a scene that I had had in my head for a really long time because I had almost a vision of that during a bout of CPSE of just feeling like I was picking up a phone and talking to myself. That mm. was in the seizure zone, as we like to call it. <laughs> uh, talking to a different version of myself, you know, a lot of times non-compulsive seizures that involve that mind zone put you in a very strange place where you like kind of hallucinate or you feel different things. And that scene in particular, I remember very vividly kind of occurring to me during one of those seizures. And I just had to put it in there. Mm. Yeah, it's really powerful. Because I believe it's him on the other end talking mm-hmm. to himself, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, um, uh, yeah it's really good. <laughs> uh, so what, uh, you know, talking about the art style and the way you, you know, transcribe time and story, uh, what kind of artists or writers and musicians um, were you kind of in conversation with during making this? Not how- I like the phrase in conversation. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm trying not to say, like, inspired, especially like, that's what we use. It's not an effect. <laughs> no, that's really cool. I, I love that. I'm going to gank that for later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's two very important influences, and the first one is visual, and that's, I, I think everyone should say this at some point, but it's Osama Kazuka. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, obviously called the godfather of modern comics or manga mm-hmm. for a reason. And when I was in school, I had this one teacher named Keith Marison. And he, as soon as I got in the door at SVA, like within the first month of moving there, he was like, read Tezuka, read Tezuka, read Tezuka. <laughs> single class session. And I was like, well, I guess I have to read Tezuka. And I picked up Blackjack and I, oh my God, I read I think it's 17 volumes. I read 17 volumes in one week. I checked oh, them all out of the library. <laughs> I was that asshole. I like kept them in my room for <laughs> so no one else could. And I was just totally swept away. You know, I had heard of Tezuka before, obviously Astro Boy and everything, but I had no idea how powerful his layouts and everything were. Mm-hmm. So when I was drawing stuff in school, Keith urged me, you know, for your art in particular, think about what he called I believe kinesthetic visual. I'm not sure if that's actually a thing where he just kind of made that up, but regardless, Keith said it, so it's real. <laughs> and he talked about Tezuka, how a lot of times he will use very non-literal visual language to convey something, and that's something you can see a lot in particular in Phoenix, which is my favorite series right now, <laughs> in which he uses all these very non-literal waves and patterns and fucking with the panels and doing all this kind of unexpected stuff with form and function mm-hmm. that conveys things without them being just told to the reader. So that was a huge influence for me, and mm-hmm. especially in particular the use of uh, like knives and chains and the, uh, the panels being all distorted mm-hmm. during CPSC. All those things were very much inspired or rather coming from a conversation with Tezuka and being very, very pushed to think outside the box and do something a little bit different and not just spell it out for readers that have them kind of feel it and draw their own emotional conclusion as opposed to telling you this is what you should feel, mm-hmm. but this is something extremely literal that's happening. You kind of give them the space to inject themselves and to be sutured into the narrative. Mm-hmm. So that was, visually, that was it. And the second one is not nearly as deep or interesting. <laughs> I just <laughs> took a lot of the Mars bolt <laughs> while making this comic. Uh, again, that's also very much uh, non-literal lyrics and very mm-hmm. 
strange and unexpected sounds and progression in the song, and some of them are like 14 minutes long, but it's a very wild 14 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and all of their very powerful narratives I was just really into, so I was extremely into them when I was drawing this comic, so I love the Marzolta. <laughs> you too, you too. I'm gonna say I'm like I'm gonna say this. My next one is gonna be like quietly vibrating. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, yeah, I definitely see those those artists in here. Not in any like you know super literal way, but just kind of the intertwining of them throughout the story. That's really cool. The dialogue. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so now that this has come to a close, this book, what kind of uh, well, first let me ask you about your kind of your experience with. Uh, web comics and digital publishing and self-publishing. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Do you think they'll continue doing that? Or yeah, I uh, you know I'm always open to work with you know, publishers and mm-hmm. big guys and stuff. But in particular, I found that web comics and self-publishing, all of that, is extremely important because a that's how I kind of got into it. I just made shitty Xerox zines and gave them out to my friends, and Mm -hmm. in that way, I found a very positive space for me to tell my story and to be heard. Mm -hmm. I think that self-publishing and independent work is very important for marginalized creators as a whole. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a space for us to be heard and to hear each other and to just create support for each other where we can't find it a lot of times in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. It's extremely important, and I just really love self-publishing in that way, where we all create our own narratives, regardless if someone who has a lot of money cares about it or not. Right. Have to worry about that kind of thing, and it just it gives everyone an even platform. Anyone mm-hmm. can do it. Everyone can do it. No matter you know who you are, you can put out your zine, you can put out your webcomic, and you can just stand proud. So I have to say that 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 zone is my favorite, you know. Yeah. Obviously, people are always doing cool things with, like, big publishers and mainstream media, but I think no matter what, you should always have some kind of, like, book that you made yourself or webcomic or something else to really have that raw expression without someone looking over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And if someone, you know, Mish Adra, like, the only way that it could exist is via this format and something that I had to manage on my own time and something that was very much intertwined like what I was doing that month or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it was a little stressful because I did put it on a monthly schedule. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people ask me, like, oh, why did you do that? What was your decision? And in the end, it really came down to, like, you know, the first two chapters, that was all it was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be so long. But as I was drawing the first two chapters, I was like, oh, you know what? I keep drawing all this stuff, and I keep thinking more and more that I want to say. Like, I keep thinking, oh, I should say this and that, mm-hmm. but I don't have time. Yeah. I only have you know, 40 or 50 pages, which is all going to turn into my senior project. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I should make this longer, I should keep it going after school, and I should just kind of sort out the main bits that I want to talk about and then put that in a format. And then I realized it took me like four months to draw two chapters or five months or something like that. I'm like, how the hell am I going to say all this in a decent amount of time? Mm-hmm. And I was really inspired when I was at SVA. I kind of snuck into a guest lecture that my friends and Uncle Yuka were doing. Mm-hmm. And someone asked them, you know, what's your, what's your advice to people who are making comps on their own or whatever? And they said, just get it done. They said, Put a date on your calendar, like mark it out and just get it done. No excuses. Just put it out there and make mm-hmm. yourself make it work. And that came to my mind and I said, okay, I'm going to make this work and I'm going to do monthly and that way I can say everything that I want to say in a decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. So there obviously were times where I was like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> there were some days where I was like, oh my God, I have to do like five pages today. How the fuck am I going to do this? But it really ended up being rewarding because I just got it all out there without really stressing over a lot of stuff that ultimately is kind of inconsequential. Mm-hmm. You're on a time limit, especially for web comics. You kind of just you have to figure out what to care about and what not to care about. Mm-hmm. Editorial sense makes itself known because you have no choice. You're like, shit, this needs to be done tomorrow. What do I have time to spend on? What should I not spend on? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, should I draw this 
expression better than like this background. You kind of just have to sort through some stuff. And so in that way, a timed webcomic format was extremely rewarding because I learned way better time management, first of all. Mm -hmm. You have to do 50 pages in a month. You're going to have to figure some shit out. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was extremely rewarding. I just figured out how to do that and I just learned a better editorial sense. And I think that ultimately everyone should put themselves or have given to something by someone else, by a publisher or whatever, some kind of very timed schedule or a webcomic that needs to meet a certain date because you learn so much in doing it. Yeah. And you're like a huge inspiration because you're like, you work so hard on this. Like, a, like sometimes you see like, it's going to be, like, a couple days late. And I'm like, you're putting out, like, so much work. Like, don't apologize. Like, <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I just, this was something that was extremely important to me. And even though it's always going to be important to me, it's always going to be my baby. Mm-hmm. And when you have something that is so important to you in that way, you're just like, I need to get this done. I need to do it the best way that I can. And you put so much love into it. And that's part of the reason why I love self-publishing so much mm-hmm. but that comes from a very real place so even though there were times where I was like oh oh god <laughs> there were times where I was like oh my god I can't this is going to be so hard I'm going to have to draw for 18 hours a day like it all a place of love and all that hard work you know I couldn't have done it if I wasn't doing something that I really cared about mm-hmm. so I work super hard but only because I love it a lot and it's evident it is evident in the work thank you <laughs> So now that this comic is over, uh, what projects do you have coming up on the horizon? Or what? if you don't have anything specific, uh-huh. do you have, um, what kind of things do you think you'll explore in your next comic endeavor? Or game endeavor? Yeah, I was actually going to say, like, I am super into games right now. I love RPG Maker, <laughs> and I love RPG Maker 2000 in particular. So I am personally working on a game of my own, but I don't talk that much about it because it's a secret. I kind of just want to just drop it one day. So so I won't give away any details, but I think mm-hmm. you will like it. And I am actually working with Kevin Chen on a game right now that we'll be able to announce in a few months. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be great. And I I just, like, have 500 ideas for games that I want to make. So <laughs> I have to manage that. So yeah. hopefully I'll get them all done in a decent amount of time. And let's see, comics, as far as comics goes, I'm kind of tired of a very long format. <laughs> I love this mm-hmm. what's happening. But now that it's over, I'm like, ah, I don't have to do 300 pages next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of taking a break from long format, even though it's, like, my favorite. Um, I just want to do, like, a short book. I'm kind of writing something right now in particular that I'm looking into possibly graphing. So, yeah, I think that that can come into form in the next few months. Other than that, though, I don't really have anything specific that, in particular, I can point to this one thing and do it. This is my huge new thing that's coming out. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of small stuff. But ultimately, if people have games they want art for, like, get at me because it's my favorite stuff. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. I mean, I've got to, got to tell you how much I love this comic. Thank you. I'm <laughs> really happy that I'm here talking about this, too, because there's so much, you know, about this comic that is really important to me. So mm-hmm. I always get super excited. I kind of just quietly vibrate in my feet whenever anyone asks me a really important question about it. And so you've been asking some really cool stuff, and I'm really excited. I finally got to talk a lot about it. Yes, I'm happy to hear you talk about it. It's really exciting. <laughs> We're just like, just vibrating in our seats like, yes. I literally am. I, I'm having a hard time keeping my voice like, not quivery. I'm like, you should be my friend. Okay, well, thank you again. Thank you.